All right, good morning. I hope all is well with you. I, I know that we all come in here uh, from different places this morning. And one thing that I, I know for a fact is that our world is full of so many different experiences. Uh, you have a mix of suffering and joy going on right now in your life. I'm pretty confident of that. Your suffering might be small. Uh, you might not even realize that it's there. It might be, bless you, uh, great. Uh, but so many of us right now, there's just different things in our lives that we feel like that this is tough, this is hard. How am I going to make it through the day? And if I were a betting man, I would say a good bit of us have heard some unsettling or discouraging news after, uh, over the past few weeks. Maybe it's a family member. Uh, maybe it's something at work that affects you, but you hear news. You hear things coming in, and it could be unsettling. It can cause you to panic. It could cause you to, be ang- to have anxiety. It could push you into depression. It could cause you to want to be isolated and to just zone in on yourself. But I'm pretty confident that if we surveyed the room, that a good bit of us would say, yeah, I've heard some pretty bad news over the past couple of weeks that has got me down. But at the same time, I think there's some pretty great news that's going on too. I think that many of you have heard things over the past few weeks that you're like, man, that's awesome. I'm really glad I heard that. So when's the last time that you heard something and you responded with excitement? Like, wow, this is great. That is good news. That is something I needed to hear. When's the last time that you've heard something? It could be big or small. It could be significant. It could be insignificant. For example, uh, about mm, a little over four weeks ago, I had some friends that were moving to England to do some mission there with the ministry that I work with, Campus Outreach. And they're going to be in England at a particular school, reaching a a particular faith group. And so it's pretty awesome. But part of that, so that's good news by itself. Like, wow, all right, people are still going out into the nations. And I know you're hearing England, for real. And I can show you the statistics and why that's a good place for missionaries to go. Um, But they have this thing that I needed, and it's called a vehicle. So I have a 16-year-old that is driving now, and so we, need, we needed one more vehicle for the family. And so I talked to them, we worked out a deal, and I went to Memphis to pick up this truck, and he's like, you know, do you need to look at it? Do you, need, you know, what? I was like, man, I trust you. You said this, this, this has been working for you then I think it'll work for me. I think it'll be fine. And he gave me the keys, and I was like, wait a minute, what's this button? He's like, that's remote start. And I'm like, are you kidding me? I can push this. This is like 2011. Like, so this is like one of the, you know, it, 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 my, one of the newest things in my book. I was like, you mean I can touch this button when it's cold outside, and it'll start my truck? He's like, yeah, Mark, where have you been? 
Now, again, it's like most of y'all's cards, none of my cards had anything like that on it. But you would, have, you would have thought that he had shared with me some of the best news that I've heard in a long time. It's like, this is good news. I am going to be able to have a warm truck in the wintertime. Okay? So it could be in, insignificant. That would be in that category. But at the same time, you hear about a family that gets pregnant. Maybe they've been trying for years, and they're pregnant. That's exciting news. That's good news. But sometimes the good news is relative from the previous bad news, okay? So sometimes there's certain bad news that we hear, and in comparison to the bad news, the news, if it gets a little better, it's like any amount of better news is good news. And sometimes it's a significant leap. For example, we have a friend that let us know a couple of weeks ago that she had cancer. And she was really panicking. She truly was. She's like, what, what about my family? What about, and the, the diagnosis at the time, it was, you know, cancer severe. And she's picturing that I could die very soon. So she goes back to the doctor, and it's still serious, but it's less serious than she originally thought. And so she's, she is just praising God, you know, Facebook, messaging Sherry's group text, like, praise God, it's not this particular cancer, it's this. But it's still cancer. But it's not what it was. The Bible is full of this. He was blind, but now he sees. That's pretty incredible. And I'm going to ask you, when you read the Bible, and even in a minute, when I read two chapters of a story, it's a narrative, and and yes, uh, I'm going to read that much, to really think, this is real. These are real stories. These are real people. This was really a blind guy, and now he sees. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine not being able to see your whole life, and now you see? If you're like me, I just read that. When I was a kid, I was like, that's awesome. Next, tell me something else. Next, tell me something else. David and Goliath, big deal, because I was in sixth grade. You know, on and on and on. Like, but it is a big deal. Or she was possessed by demons. Now she's freed from them. That's some bad news to some really good news. Something spiritual to something better spiritually, to not be possessed by demons. That's big news. That's a big deal, and that's real. Or even we see in Scripture, we see that a young child had died, and Jesus went in to be with her, and then she's alive. That's some pretty horrible, horrific news And then some really good news. But the biggest leap from bad news to good news is that you are dead in your sins, but Jesus gives life. That is the biggest jump that is possible. Bad news, you are dead in your sins. Good news, you can be alive 
through the blood of Jesus. But does the power of that truth miss your heart this morning? Is it just old good news to you? It is to me, unless I really think about it. I am saved from my sins. I have Christ. Christ has me. I am forgiven. There's so much about the gospel, but if you miss that, you miss all of the gospel. That I was dead and now I'm alive in Christ. Believer, the gospel is for you. The gospel is not just for those in the room that don't know Christ. The gospel is for all of us all the time. However, for those of you that are here this morning or watching online, if you don't yet believe, the gospel is for you. Now, I hesitated sharing this example, so I shouldn't, but I will. Um, Back in the 80s, there was a commercial, a Budweiser commercial, and I don't think Budweiser still says this, but it was, it was, this Bud is for you. This Budweiser is for you. Dude, is that still the commercial? No. Okay, thank you, younger people. But it was like, you're a hardworking dude, and you're doing this, and then the commercial, this Bud is for you. You know, or you're, you know, you're a woman, you're a man, you're doing this, and basically you deserve this. This is for you. So even worse than that, there was a Christian artist back in the day that I loved him. He's all right. His name's Carmen. <laughs> yeah, get a little laugh from a few people in the room. He would tell these stories through songs. And, man, they would grab you like, yeah, you know, or you're crying. But he would tell these gospel stories. And he totally, totally riffed on this bud is for you. And it's this blood is for you. Okay? All right? This blood is for you. And we all knew what he was doing. Now, he would miss the mark now if he can't. And you'd just be like, okay, yeah, that's a good song. But the difference is this bud, it's like you deserve this. But this blood of the lamb, you don't deserve this. You haven't done all this. Oh, all your hard work, you deserve the blood of the lamb. No, you don't. You don't deserve the blood of Christ. But you were dead in your sins, and now you're forgiven of your sins if you believe in Christ because of the blood of the Lamb. Is this missing your heart? Does this miss my heart? And upon the cross, when you think about good news and announcements, I believe one of the biggest announcements ever made came from the mouth of Christ right before he died. What did he say right before he died? What did he say? It is finished. This is the gospel. Now you got to unpack it, but this is the gospel. It is finished. It is finished. But what is finished? And why did it need to be finished? 
Why does it matter? And why is this good news that something got finished, that Jesus did something and finished it? Why does this matter? It's a matter of life and death. It's a matter of spiritual life and spiritual death. It really matters that Jesus suffered under a governor, Pontius Pilate. It really matters that he was crucified. It really matters that he actually died, that he was dead. And it matters that he was buried. This is the crux of the Bible, the cross, Jesus going to the cross, going through the suffering that he did, the whole Old Testament points to this moment. And we still, 2,000 plus years later, are still hearing from God's word, and I'm telling you, and you're telling me, this is what we cannot forget. This is what we need to remember. It is finished. Jesus has done something. My sins have been forgiven. So our text today, our main text is going to be Romans 6.23, but if you would open your Bible to John 18 and 19. So within, within the Apostles' Creed, you've got a section here that all of this is historical, all of this happened, all of this is true, but this section right here that he suffered under Pontius, Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, is buried. I'm going to read that to you. And we're going to, we're going to let the Word of God be the primary, the primary part of the Apostles' Creed this morning. I'm going to do limited pauses, but we're going to walk through this together. So John chapter 18 to the end of John chapter 19. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the brook Kidron, where there was a garden which he and his his disciples entered. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, don't miss that. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Do not miss that. When he said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Him speaking, I am he, sent them to the ground, not in submission of humility and praise you. We just came here to worship you. No, they're coming here to arrest him and to eventually kill him. But you see, you see a glimpse of the power and the glory of Jesus in this moment by declaring, I, I am he. I am Jesus of Nazareth. That's me. So he asked them again, whom do you seek? 
he says this with humility. I believe this. He's not like, now that you're on the ground, whom do you seek? Right? He totally could have done that. And they would have ran. I believe that there's a tone of just true question. And he know, I, we know that Jesus knew what he had to do. So he asked again, whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I'm he. So if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken. Now you're going to see prophecy fulfilled through these two chapters a good bit. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken. Of those whom you gave me, I have lost not one. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant ear and cut off his right ear. I'm sorry. Drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? We're going to get to that here today. So the band of soldiers and their captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. Did you really need to bind, bind him up? Did you really need to do that? But they did. Procedure. First they led him to Annas, for he was the father-in-law of uh, uh, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. It was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. We believe, most people believe this another disciple is John. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood outside at the door. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, You are also... You also are not one of the man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. So already begins to deny Christ. Jesus had said that Peter would deny Jesus three times before the rooster crowed. He said, I am not. Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. Don't miss this part of the suffering of Christ. I know it might sound small, but no one loves to be cold. No one loves to be away from the warmth of a fire when you're being stripped and beaten. It was cold. The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. Jesus answered him, I've spoken openly to the world. I've always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all the Jews come together. I've said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. When he had said these things, one of the soldiers, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand saying, is that how you answer the high priest? And that's where we would say, is that how you treat the son of God? Is this how you speak to the high priest? And slaps Jesus, strikes him. Again, Jesus could have said, is that how you treat God? But that's not what he says. 
Jesus answered him, If what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? Annas then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, You also you also are not one of the, his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it, and at once a rooster crowed. Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him, If this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord? Or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, I am, a Jew. am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting, that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king? Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? After he said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. This is important. You have to hear this. I find no guilt in him. But you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the, at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. 19. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. Now this is a, a beating with strips of leather that has little shards of bone and metal in it. And it rips the skin off of you. And it was, it was all the lashes that they were allowed to give to, to a man. They gave it to Jesus. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him saying, Hail! king of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I'm bringing him out to you so that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to him, Behold the man. When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, we have, we have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die because he has made himself the son of God. 
When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, Now, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, You will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have the authority to release you and the authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he delivered me over. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement, and in Aramaic, Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, Behold your king! They cried out, Away with him! Away with him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus, and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with him two others, one on either side and Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Aramaic and Latin and in Greek. So the chief priest of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but rather, This man said I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I've written, I've written. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, Let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. This was to, fu- this was to fulfill the scripture which says, They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So, to the, so the soldiers did these things. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his, were his mother and his mother's sister. Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Speaking of John. Then he said to his disciple, Behold your mother. From that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. Even on the cross. Even on the cross. Even on this, with this suffering, Jesus looks to his mom. Jesus looks to his disciple and says, take care of my mom. What love. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. 
and he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Since it was the day of preparation, and so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for the Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and they might be taken away. They would break the legs to just make sure that they were dead, for them to no longer be able to push up and get another breath. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. He who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth, that you also may believe. For these things took place that Scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And again, another Scripture says, they will look on him whom they have pierced. After these things, Joseph of Amarathia, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for the fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen clothes, cloths, uh, with the spices, as it is the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb, in which no one had been laid. So because of the Jewish, so because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the, boom, the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. So we see directly from scriptures. We see that. Jesus suffered under Pontius Pilate. There was a suffering. There was a beating. There was accusations made against him. He's an innocent man receiving beatings and then being given over to be crucified. There's great suffering going on. And then we see from Scriptures that Jesus was crucified on the cross. We see from Scriptures that he died and that he was dead. And we see from Scriptures that he was buried. So there's a phrase when I was a kid, and maybe it's still used sometimes, and it would receive a little bit of flack from, from people. But there was a phrase that was said, God said it, I believe it, what? That settles it. God said it, I believe it, that settles it. But the truth of the matter with Scripture and God speaking is God said it, that settles it. Part of the Apostles' Creed, part of even John writing in the Scriptures, he's saying, I say these things that you may believe. The Apostles' Creed is a creed. It's not Scriptures, but we look to the Scriptures to say, what do we believe? Why do we believe? God, what if you communicated to us? And Jesus has communicated to us in the scriptures something saying it is finished but what is finished and that is what we're going to walk through this morning we're going to focus primarily on the fact that Jesus was crucified spoiler alert sorry for next week and the, the next weeks to come but Jesus rises up from the dead and he's alive okay we're not going to talk a lot about this morning we're going to talk about the crucifixion of Christ 
But we're going to do it through a tool that comes from a ministry. Uh, it's either from Campus Crusade or the Navigators, two wonderful ministries. I work with a ministry called Campus Outreach, and we pretty much steal every tool that is out there, and we use it. But this tool, I'm going to use it with us this morning. It's taking one scripture and sharing the gospel, the Old Testament and the New Testament. What is the message of the Bible? Why is this the last words of Jesus before he dies? Not his last words because he rises up from the dead, speaks more later. But what is this? It is finished. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at Romans 6.23 and we're going to walk through this verse. And we call this one verse evangelism. I'm going to throw a couple of other verses in there. But this is going to walk us through the basic truth of the gospel. So Romans 6.23 says this, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So for the wages of sin is death. So wages, we're going to look up here. We're going to look at wages. What I deserve, what I've earned, it's mine. I've shared with y'all before that when I was 15, I worked at Whitewater Atlanta. I was a lifeguard, and I worked there. They paid me $3.15, $3.25 an hour. I know that I sound like my dad at this point when my dad was like, yeah, I used to make a quarter and I could go to the movies and I could still do stuff. But those were my wages. My wages were $3.25 an hour. It's what I deserved. It's what I earned. And when I got a paycheck, yes, there were taxes taken out. That was a life lesson. But it's like, here's what I earned. This is what I deserve. But if, if Mr. Whitewater had have given me only $3.25 instead of a whopping $60 for that two weeks of work or whatever, I would have said, foul, give me my money. It, give me what is mine, what I deserve. Unfair, not good. I'm reporting you to Better Business Bureau. I didn't even know what that was. I really would have just said, okay, whatever. Can I still swim for free? All right. But the truth is, wages is what you earn. It's what is yours. It's what you have coming to you. It's, what, it's your trophy. It's yours. The wages of sin is death. The wages, but the wages of what? Of sin. So the wages of sin. Sin is, sin is basically us going against God. Okay? It's not just breaking commandments. It is that. It is good for you to not kill people. It is good for you to not lie. It is good for us to not covet. God is wise when he gives us his ways. He is so wise. He is so good. But sin is us in the garden with Adam and Eve. It is us looking to the Father and saying, you know what? It is very clear that you made all this. It's us with Adam saying, and I even saw you make woman. Wow, you made my bride. Adam saw that. Well, he was asleep. Okay, I got you. I'm with you. I'm tracking. He's asleep, but he knew. I, he, uh, my, I got a rib gone, and now I got a wife. He knew that God had done this. God is speaking to him. He knows these things. And then he's tempted, 
And he says, you know what, God, I think that you're withholding goodness from us. I don't think you're telling us the full story. I don't think you're speaking truth to me. You're withholding. Sin is going against God, going our own way. And we've done that from the beginning. Why do I keep saying we? Because we are represented in Adam, the first man. It's what theologians call, what the Bible teaches us, there's imputed to us. We receive the sin of Adam. We are born sinners. Now, yes, there's not particular sins that you've done yet when you're just a baby, but you were born already with a sin nature. You don't have to teach your children how to do the wrong thing. You just don't. So there is an imputed There's imputed condemnation that we're born with. We're already starting out not good. We start out with really bad news. There is original sin. It's not just the first sin that happened, but the sin that is passed on from generation to generation to generation. We are guilty before God. And we sin because we are sinners. The only person that that didn't apply to was Adam. He didn't sin because he was a sinner. He sinned and became a sinner, lost fellowship with God, was cast out of the garden, and from then on, we have been separated from God. So the wages of sin, the wages of us going against God, and if you have a problem with that, you don't have a problem with the fact that you know that you go against God. You know that you're not perfect. You know that you're a sinner. That we all do things that we should not do. We all believe things about God that are not true of him. All mankind is joined to Adam in both the guilt and the corruption of his first sin. So the wages of sin. So because of my sin nature, but because of my sin, I have sinned. I I have done things that I know very clearly I deserve death. The wages of sin is death. So again, because of my sin, I have earned death. Death is mine. It is mine. It's not unfair according to the logic of Scripture, according to the truth of my condition. Because of sin, I have earned death. And as we share about uh, at Legacy, this is not just a physical death. This is separation from the love of God. This is receiving the wrath of God. This is a place that the Bible very clearly that Jesus often spoke about, and it's hell. It's a place of eternal separation from the love of God, but eternally receiving the wrath of God. And this matters. This matters. Because Jesus is doing something on the cross to set us free from sin, from death, and from hell. And for us to say there is no hell, there is no death, we're just saying, Jesus, why did you even come? To just be a good example? To just, no. This matters because we were rescued from sin, from death, and from hell. This is super good news for us. Jesus didn't come to just bring us Christmas songs. Love them. I love Christmas songs. 
I'm going to start them early, and you can yell at me. I'm fine with that. Jesus did not come just to heal the sick, the blind, and raise the dead to life. That's amazing and wonderful and awesome, and I love it. Jesus did not come just to be the greatest example of a human that has ever existed or ever will. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus did not come just to teach us how to love one another. We must do that. Jesus came to redeem us, to save us. And he did all those other things too. But he came to redeem us and save us. So if I minimize or delete the work of Christ on the cross, then I miss it all. And in doing so, I call Jesus a liar. And I don't want to I don't even want I don't want to follow someone that speaks untruths. Because of my sin, I deserve hell. But this verse says, but. So there's good news. Hopefully there's good news, right? But the wages of sin is death. But, but what? But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So I've sinned against God, but he wants to give me a free gift. That doesn't make sense. Why would he want to give me a free gift? But he does. He loves us. He wants to rescue us. He wants to redeem us. So he gives us a free gift. But what is this free gift of God? It's eternal life. It's to be able to live with God in heaven for eternity. To see Jesus face to face. To be in a place of no more suffering no more tears, no more pain. To be in a place with our loved ones who love Christ. To be there eternally. The free gift of God is eternal life. But how? How? In Christ Jesus. In Jesus Christ. So in his life, and I'll share this with you, and I'll share it again. There is the active obedience of Christ. The things that he did, the things that he went out and did, he obeyed God constantly, perfectly, without sin. But there's the passive obedience that is still him doing something, but it's him on the receiving side, receiving in our place. He received obediently. He received the wrath of God poured out on him. Jesus suffered his whole life. It's not just under Pontius Pilate. It's not just on the cross. He suffered from the moment he left the beauty, the perfection of heaven, and came into this world. He began suffering when he left heaven and came to earth. He suffered the relentless attacks of Satan upon him. He suffered temptation although never giving in to temptation. There was a constant attack, a bombardment. He, he suffered the hatred and unbelief from his own people. I have a hard time if I'm sitting at the table and I just have a small disagreement with one of my kids or my wife. I can't handle that. But Jesus' own people pushed him away. He suffered from the beginning. There's a verse uh, in Luke 9.22 that says this. The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. The Son of Man must suffer. 
There is this thing that Jesus knew that he was going to suffer, that he actually must suffer. The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and be killed and on the third day be raised up. So was the suffering and death of Jesus necessary? Did he have to die on the cross? Well, yes. We had to have a Savior. But here's where it gets confusing a little bit. So you're saying it was a necessity for God to save us. No. It actually was not a necessity for God to save any of us. He didn't have to do that. The wages of sin is death. That is fair. We have gone against the holy God. He did not have to enter in. But it became a necessity within the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit in the covenant of redemption from from eternity past when God decided we will save, it became a necessity. The theological term is called consequent absolute necessity. Because God decided he would save, Jesus is the only way. He is necessary. The death of Christ was necessary. And he suffered. Matthew 26, 38 says this. Jesus said, my my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. His soul going to the cross was very sorrowful. Very sorrowful. But here's the thing. Jesus did come into this world. He did suffer. He did go to the cross. And he did this because he loves us, yes. But he loves his Father. He loves his Father. So upon the cross, Jesus takes the sin upon himself, my sin upon himself, and receives the wrath of God in my place. He is my substitute. There is an atonement that Jesus pays for the sins of the world. He atones for, which we'll get into more in the coming weeks when we talk about in the Apostles' Creed, the forgiveness of sins. But there was a substitutionary atonement that Christ actually had to die on the cross in my place. Isaiah 53, 6 says this. Let's look at this. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. God in his wrath laid on Christ my sin, the wrath of God. So the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So because of Jesus, there's a reconciliation. I was here because of sin. There was a separation. I could not be with God. Jesus enters in, picture the cross. Now there's a bridge. There's a way for me to be with God. Jesus brings me to God. There is a reconciliation, but there had to be a substitution. There had to be a life lived also. But Jesus not only receives my sin, but he gives me his righteous life. It was my sins. It was my life. It was my wrath that I deserved. It was mine. It was mine. It was mine. 
But Jesus said, no, I will take it and it will be mine. And I will die in your place. I will take the wrath of God. I will receive the punishment that you deserve. And the life that I live, the righteousness that I have that Jesus says to, about himself that it is his, he gives it to us. The righteousness that I have is the righteousness of Christ. And so Jesus declared on the cross, after he received the full cup and drank it fully, he said, it's done. It's finished. Live the perfect life in their place, and I have died the death in their place, and it is done. The work is accomplished. So friends, are you still trying to work to gain salvation? You can't. It's done. And even if you could work for it, you could never earn it because we are sinful. But it is finished. There's no more condemnation. Psalm 103, and then we're going to have communion. Let's read this. Psalm 103. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Again, God in his wisdom, knowing all things, knowing all science, being the God of all science, he knows there's a difference between north and south. North and south is limited. If I told you, that your sins are forgiven as far as the north is from the south, you would say, well, eventually when I go north, I eventually go south. So there's limitation to forgiveness. But as far as the east is from the west, if I tell you to walk east, you're always walking east. You're always walking east, and you're always walking east. So always, from always, your sins are removed forever and for eternity. As far as Forever is from forever. Your sins have been removed from you because of Jesus, because of his suffering, because he was crucified, because he did die in our place, and he was physically dead, and he was buried. And I've heard it said that even the tomb itself is a little bit, although the tomb is about death, yes, it kind of shows to a degree that that suffering and what he had to do is finished because now it began to be, it's a rich man's tomb. It's different now. It's different now. And we know that later Jesus rises up from the dead.